Hey, welcome to King's Church. I am so glad you are here. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. We're believing God for great things. And I've got a word for us today that I think is going to set us on the right track. Um, it was a few weeks ago, my cousin and I were having lunch. We were down at one of my favorite places to eat here in Quispam Sis, uh, Boaz. Anybody ever eat at Boaz? Uh, our friends uh, Jin Wan and Young Soo, they go to our church, actually. And so, uh, hey, fun fact, go, go to Boaz. Don't go for charity. You're going to go and have the sushi, and you're going to realize it's the best in town. So go check them out. But my cousin Sean and I are there, and we're just enjoying some sushi and some conversation. And we got talking about life and talking about parenting. And we got on that topic because we're both parents. And uh, I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And he has, a, I believe, a 6- and a 4-year-old. And so we got talking about it, and he was talking about just, like, disciplining his kids and, and like, how do you, man, how do you keep these kids from turning out to be sociopaths? Like, how do we do this? Any, anybody ever just, how are we going to do that? And uh, we got talking about it, and he's like, well, I'm reading this book, and, it, and they're, they're suggesting that, like, the merit system might not be the best idea. Like, maybe if you, you know, if you reward good behavior and you punish bad behavior, maybe that's teaching kids that, you know, love, your love is conditional. And, and, and that was a trigger word for me uh, when, he said, when he said that. And I said, you know what, Sean? This is what's wrong with the world today. <laughs> and I started to rant for a few minutes. I said, you know, listen, there's a difference between my love and my favor. I thought I'd get some amens from some parents at King's Church. There is a difference between my love and my affirmation, and my acceptance, and my approval. There is a difference between my love. My kids, no matter what they do, they have my love. They can, they, they can be crazy. They can be selfish. They can be dumb. They can, they can fall short of my, my expectations for them. They could, Lord forbid, have a horrible teenage experience, and I could find them in jail. And it doesn't matter what they do. My love's there for them. That's never changing. That's in their DNA. They're mine. I love them forever. However, their actions do come with consequences and certain behaviors get certain rewards and certain behaviors do not get reward. And I think this is the way the world works, anybody? I, I, this is why Pastor Adam and I, who coach eight-year-old boys in basketball, did you know here, at least in, in Quispam Sis, they don't keep score for eight-year-old boys. Like, what? Please. And so Adam and I do. We got a little score thing on the... <laughs> We've got our little score thing on my phone. And I'm telling those kids, guys, you suck at basketball. Just, you're getting pounded right now. Because they always say, are we winning? I'm like, no, no, you're not. You're losing by 20. Why? I think I'm helping them. Some of you are like, someone needs to lock this guy up. No, like, like I'm helping them because they're going to leave. If they, if they leave the basketball game thinking, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. And they're really losers then either A, life is going to squash them and they're, oh, they're up for a rude awakening or they're going to be delusional sociopaths that maybe find themselves in front of Simon Cowell and think, that I got a gift, and they don't. <laughs> right? There's a difference. There's a difference between love and affirmation. There's a difference between love and favor. And this is not just how the world works, but this is, in fact, how the kingdom of God works. This is actually not just something that we as humans know to be true, but it's actually something that is true of God and is true of the kingdom. That, that reward is how God works. The Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That God, you have his love. We just celebrated communion. You know what communion says? It says, for God so loved the world Nothing you did to earn it, nothing you did to deserve it, nothing you did to obtain it. It was something God purely did out of his fatherhood, his love for the world. There's nothing we could do to ever change that. There's nothing we could do to ever separate ourselves. Like Paul says, you can never separate yourself from the love of God, no matter what. Some of you need to hear that right now. Some of you feel like you separated yourself from the love of God last year. I'll tell you what, no, you didn't. You can't separate yourself from the love of God. That stuff's coming all the time. It never stops. However, there is a difference between God's love and God's favor. There is a difference between living in the revelation of the fact that I am loved by God and walking in the reward of knowing God. 
There is actually a difference between God's love and God's favor. This is not a question I'm asking today as we look at the scripture. I'm not asking the question, are you saved? That's a matter of God's love. The question I want to look at today is, are you blessed? Are you blessed? I believe there's going to be a lot of people in heaven who missed heaven on earth. There's going to be a lot of people who go to heaven someday because the grace of God bought them entries. No, no man can boast. Nothing you did. But you're missing out on seeing heaven and the, the power and presence of God, the very kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring to earth. We miss out on that because we don't know the difference between God's love and God's favor. There is a difference. So I want to ask this question today. What is the key to experiencing the abundance and the blessing that the Bible talks about? Have you ever read the Bible? If you read the New Testament, like you read some of the things Jesus talks about and some of the things they're talking about in the book of Acts, it, it by no means promises that it's going to be all sunshine and lollipops for those who follow Jesus. It by no means says your life's going to be easy. Jesus even himself said in this world you will have troubles. However, the Bible unapologi unapologetically says that fruitfulness is the byproduct of knowing God. It says fruitfulness is. That in fact, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water whose, whose leaf never withers. Never withers, no matter when. It means no matter what situation you are going through, you can actually walk through in triumph and in victory. There's this promise of abundance and blessing. There's this promise, promise of transformation. Like Jesus came and he preached things as though he was convinced that somehow by his presence and him being here and us knowing him, he said at one point, he says, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, you will bear much, say it, fruit. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll bear much fruit. Like that's the byproduct. However, I think if we just... First Sunday of the year, we've got 52 of these. If we're, if we're just real vulnerable and honest for a second, like I don't know if a lot of us would typify our experience as fruitful. Like, you know, maybe, maybe there's some faith, maybe you have some experiences, but what, man, when you read some of that abundance language, when you hear Jesus say, hey, if you have the faith of like a mustard seed, you're going you're gonna to see just this tenfold, hundredfold return. Like you're going to see major things happen in your life. I think the reason why a lot of us don't experience the abundance of God's blessing in our lives in the here and now has nothing to do with whether or not we're loved by God. It has everything to do if we know how to obtain and access God's favor. God's favor is not earned, but it is accessed and obtained. So I want to ask the question today, how do we access, how do we experience the kingdom of God, like this real kingdom of God in our real day-to-day -day lives. What does that look like? Today we're going to begin a brand new series. Uh, we're going to begin a series called The Book of Mark. Catchy, catchy, catchy title. Uh, actually, we call it For King and Kingdom. So if you're new to our church, we take these times and seasons and we'll look at different series. We, we will, we'll put a bunch of different messages together and we'll talk about certain topics. We did a series on anxiety last year. We did a series, uh, Feel Good Christmas, if you're with us. We did uh, trending. We look at trending topics. We just take seasons and, and ask God, what are you saying to us in that season? But predominantly underneath it all and through the fabric of it all, we always have Bible series that we're working through. And we're beginning a brand new one today. In the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It's actually the second book in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, it's on page 908 in my Bible. Um, it might be on a screen for yours. Uh, don't, those of you who are new to this, uh, you probably don't have page 908. Just You'll, you'll figure it out. Um, but the book of Mark is actually the original Gospel. It's the first one. Did you know that? It's the oldest, oldest gospel. What does gospel mean? Anybody know? Gospel means good news. And so whenever you see the gospels, there are four of them. The gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the gospel means the good news according to, the good news about Jesus according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. We already did Luke. Now we're jumping into Mark's version. And Mark's version is the, not only the oldest, but it's the shortest of the Gospels. It's actually the most succinct. And in fact, you're going to find as we flip through the pages and the stories in this Gospel, this good news about Jesus, you're going to find he's kind of to the point. He's pretty abrupt. He tells some of the stories the other guys tell, and he says it way faster and more to the point. And many people believe the reason for that isn't because Mark was so short on, on saying words. It was, in fact, because if you read the book of Acts, Mark actually traveled with a guy named Peter. 
Peter's that guy you're going to hear about a little later who actually was one of the disciples of Jesus. And many believe that a lot of these stories you read and a lot of these accounts actually come from sermons and things that Peter was saying. So a lot believe that actually Peter influenced the book of Mark. So when you're hearing Mark, you're hearing Peter as well. And these are a new perspective on the things that Jesus did in the gospel. And this whole book is all about what Jesus did, that, this, that the king of everything came to earth and took back and began this takeover where his kingdom is taking over and restoring and redeeming all things. No big deal. And so we start today in the book of Mark where Mark starts to tell the story of how King Jesus came and, and began this restoration project called the kingdom of God. And he starts it with this and he says this and I want to look at it today and I want to, I want to just pull out one little simple principle that's going to help us. It says... In verse 1, the beginning of the good news. The be this is the good news. Everybody say good news. Hey, the gospel is good news. If you come to church and feel beat up, you didn't hear the good news. This is good news. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Make no bones about it. This is who we're talking about, Jesus the Christ. Now watch this. It began, so he's starting right here. It began... Just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead. Everybody say ahead. ahead. I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. I want you to see something super important right here. That before Jesus came on the scene, before, like John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us or moved into the neighborhood, before Jesus ever was born of a virgin, before he ever took his first steps or first breath, before he ever healed any blind eyes, before he ever walked on water, before he ever taught with authority that no man has ever heard or ever heard since, before he ever did all the amazing things we're going to read about, before any of that happened, somebody on earth had to move and prepare the way. Now that's, that's not a small thing. I, I want you to see this. Before the kingdom of God came and broke through, God was waiting on a forerunner. He was actually waiting on somebody to prepare the way. It even said in, the old, in Isaiah, it said this is going to happen. There's going to be a messenger, someone whose job it is to make way for the king. What's the principle here? The principle is this, that before the kingdom of God moves into your life and into your world, into my world and into our world, before we see the king come, we have got to learn how to make room, to make way. Now, listen, you're not John the Baptist. I'm not John the Baptist. He had a special job. We're going to look at that in just a minute. He was a special set-aside person. But his life is an example, and it shows us a principle about how the kingdom works, that before heaven moves... Before God moves in and among our lives, it always is preceded by the move of faith from an individual on earth, a flesh and blood, real human being like you and I. Before God does something great in our lives, we have got to learn to make way. Look, I'm believing and I'm hoping this year that God does amazing things in your life. I, I'm praying that he does incredible things, that, that your marriage is restored. Do you know that Jesus can heal marriages? I pray this year that Jesus would heal bodies. I pray this year that Jesus would revolutionize finances. I'm praying this year that Jesus would revolutionize minds. I'm believing and praying that old strongholds and old addictions, Jesus is going to snap and break those chains this year. I'm believing that God is going to heal bodies. I'm believing that God is going to restore deep, deep emotional wounds. I'm believing that God's going to renew minds and change appetites even. And people are going to be different this time next year than they are right now. But it's not going to happen unless you and I learn how to prepare the way. We actually have to learn how to make way for the king in our lives. There is so much, I'm convinced of this, there is so much that Jesus wants to do in us and through us, but it's just hanging up, waiting in heaven. It's, it's, like, it's, like the, 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 it's like waiting in the cloud, almost. And you and I have got to learn how to, how to begin to put ourselves in position to prepare the way. Look, let's look at it one more time. It says, this is the good news, Mark 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he'll prepare your way. Now watch this. It says this, he, John the Baptist, is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming. Prepare the way. Hey, everybody, make way for the king. I kind of like doing that. I should be like one of those guys. Hear ye, hear ye. Was that a town crier? 
Is that even a job anymore? Is anybody, anybody any town criers in Halifax? I, gotta, I don't get to see you as much. Make way for the king. If you're taking notes, write this down. Three quick words I want you to understand when it comes to how do we make way for the king and his kingdom to come in our lives and in our worlds and in our marriages on earth as it is in heaven. How do we make way for the king? First word I want you to understand is this word. It's the word expectation. Expectation. We make a way for the king first and foremost through expectation. John the Baptist was expecting Jesus. Someone was expecting Jesus. The expectation of John set up the framework and the parameters for blessing. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Uh, right now, I'm going to invite um, at all of our locations. I'll, I'll stand right here. And we've got Pastor John coming to the front of Samuel de Champlain. We've got Seth coming to the front at Halifax. We've got Adam coming to the front at West St. John. And me right now, I have something in my pocket. And it's really good. And I will give it, and so will John, and so will all of our location pastors. You can have this awesome prize that is in my pocket. The first person to come up to the front and get it, you can have it. All right, all right. All of our locations. Okay, Dan, my man. Uh, it is, this is to bless you this year. It's $100. It's a $100 visa. I'm believing God for great things, sowing into your life. Thank you. And hey, I just pray God just multiplies that in your life, and he does amazing things through you this year. All right, 100 bucks, and all you, everybody, all of our locations, $100. Now, all right, sit down. This illustration is not to show you that the early bird gets the worm, and it's not to show you that the greasy wheel or the squeaky wheel gets the grease. This illustration is for the hundreds of you right now still having the mental dialogue in your brain as I'm speaking, saying, well, if I knew it was $100, I would have got up too. I didn't expect him to pull out a hundo. I was thinking maybe a John A. McDonald at best, right? Like, so John A. a 10? See, a five? I was thinking, I was thinking five bucks, maybe. I didn't think it was going to be a hundred. Here's the principle here. This, hear me well. Your expectation was the problem. It wasn't that you didn't get up and come. It wasn't that you, beat, you didn't beat him in, in the foot race. It's that you didn't expect to be blessed. You didn't expect that that's what I had in my pocket. You didn't expect that's what we had in our pockets. Your expectation is the problem. Here is the principle. God's blessing in our life has to find room, first and foremost, in our expectations. If you don't expect it, it's not happening. If you have low expectations, I've found this in my life. God always exceeds my expectations. Ephesians 3.20, God will exceedingly abundantly supply all that you need. That he, will do, he will do more than you can ask or even imagine. I believe that's who he is. I've seen it in my life. But you know what? If you set your expectations low, he'll exceed your low expectations. What are you willing to, ex to expect God to do this year? God moves according to your expectations. Your faith begins in your expectation. Do you believe God is able to do great things in your life? Are you expecting it? I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean like hypothetically, yeah, he could. Are you expecting he will? Do you expect that he's going to do it? I, that's the difference. You see the difference? The one who expected it, who said, well, I don't know what he's got in his pocket, but Pastor Brent's a decent guy, so I'm going to go up there. I, I feel good about this. And he went up. He expected something better than the rest of you did. It's expectation. God will exceedingly bless what you faithfully expect. I said something good right there. I really did. God will exceedingly bless what you faithfully expect. God will bless what you expect. John the Baptist expected it. He was expecting Jesus. Make way for the Lord is coming. He is coming. It's, I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know where he's showing up. All I know is this. He's coming here, so I'm making room. He's coming now, so I'm making room. I don't know how. I don't know, I don't know when, but he's coming. I expect it. Here's the question. Do you expect God to move into your life? Like, not hope. Not hope. Like, I, do, some of you parents who are praying for kids, do you expect this is the year they're coming home? 
I'm expecting him to come back to church. I'm expecting him to repent and be saved. I'm, accept, I'm expecting him to be transformed in Jesus' name. I'm expecting it. It's only a matter of time. Are you expecting it or are you just kind of wishing? Because faith is not wishing. You do that with a birthday cake. Faith is expectation. Do you expect that God is going to move? Big expectations make way for big blessings. Do you believe that God can do great things? Because let me tell you something. You're way more involved in this than you think you are. Your expectations set the parameters for God breaking in your life. And I am learning very slowly as I lead my own life, I lead my family, I lead this church, I'm learning very slowly that I need to like broaden my expectations because I keep like limiting God by them. I've seen that so many times. I just had a conversation with our, our treasurer just a couple weeks ago, our CFO, and we're just saying like it's uncanny. I mean, we have developed, I'm going to be, this is my seventh budget year. We've developed seven budgets. Our, our staff, I think, has tripled since I took over. Our church has tripled. Our finances have tripled. It's a lot bigger than it used to be. And the thing we were saying to one another is every year we kind of push out our expectations and we always have faith and we say we need God to show up in this way and we're believing there's going to grow this much. And every year he does it. And we kind of, we kind of, no, listen, we kind of joked like, well, maybe we should like, Push the bar forward a little bit. And I'm not saying like out punting your coverage, but there's a principle here. Do you expect God to show up on your behalf? Do you, like those of you who are fighting addiction right now, do you expect this is the year you're going to be free? Do you expect this is the year that you don't have to say, I'm an alcoholic, where that actually is buried and it's gone? Do you expect, you mar the marriages that are struggling right now, do you expect this is the year we're going to be more in love and more in sync than ever before? Because Jesus is coming. Some of you parents who are contending for kids, do you expect this is going to be the year? This is going to be the year they come through the door and they say, Jesus interrupted me. I knew you were praying. Do you expect it? Like Halifax, do you expect this year you're going to see 400 people some Sunday? Like what can we expect for? What do we expect? Make way through expectation. Expectation is so powerful. This is why, listen to this, you ever, Revelation, it tells how the church gets to the end. It says, here's how we overcome all the things coming against us. You know how it is? Two things. One, the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did on Calvary, we already talked about that. And two, the word of what? Our testimony. What does that mean? It means us saying what Jesus has done. Now, why is that so important? Because it creates expectation. When I hear you get up and say, he healed my marriage, then I think, well, if he did it for you, he could do it for me. My expectation changes. And I get up and I hear someone say, you know what, I started giving. I didn't think I had enough. I thought there's no way I can start tithing. And I started tithing last year. And this year, my finances are in a totally different place. And you hear that and you think, well, I guess God does that sort of thing. If he did it for them, he can do it for? West St. John, if he did it for them, he can do it for? Yeah, if he did it then, he can do it. If he did it there, he can do it. Yeah, you're getting it. Like, how's your expectation? I'm preaching really hard right now. How's your expectation? Prepare the way for the Lord is coming. Look back at your scripture, verse 3. Clear the road for him. Clear the road for him. If you want to underline that, it's okay to mark in your Bible, by the way. Underline that, circle it, highlight it. Second word I want you to understand, not just expectation, but we take it a step further. The word is this, anticipation. Anticipation. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference between expectation and anticipation? And some of you grammar nuts and linguists are going to maybe get annoyed by this, but to me... The difference is expectation is kind of something you do in your mind. It's how you think. It's how you allow yourself to hope. Um, anticipation is what you do with space. Uh, like, like I said, Pastor Adam and I, we're amazing basketball coaches. We coach eight-year-old boys. Uh, they're the Bulls. We are uh, two and six. And, uh, <laughs> but one of the things we try to teach these guys is just basic fundamentals, right? And anybody who plays sports, you teach a kid... When you're passing the ball or passing the puck, you don't pass to where they are, you pass to where? Where they're gonna be. That's anticipation. Anticipation is about the space. 
It's about movement. It's about moving into a space. That's what anticipation looks like. John the Baptist didn't just live his life saying, hypothetically, I believe Jesus is coming, but his entire existence was lived in that space as though he was already there. He was carving it out, his whole life living in anticipation. The old timers, I, I see my grandmother here at the Valley Campus, she, she would use a different word. She would say consecration. It's consecration. It's to set aside. It's to clear out a path. It's not, it's not about being stuffy or hoity-toity or holier than thou. It's about, it's about removing something and creating space. It's about literally making a way and making a place and making a path for Jesus to come in. That's what anticipation looks like. Look at, look at how, how John the Baptist lived. Watch this, verse 4. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness, and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Watch this. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Going to see that pop up on the fashion circuit this year. I'm believing it. And he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. This dude was a wild man. Like, you think about what we just read there. I know it's so easy to read the scripture and you just kind of float along by and you don't ever actually bring it into, like, life. Bring this into life. First, it says his impact was immeasurable. It says all of Judea would come out to hear him. He baptized people by the thousands before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth like it is now. Can you imagine? Like the effectiveness of this guy. Pre-grace, pre-Christ, this guy's rolling out here and just like doing amazing things. The kingdom is already beginning to kind of drip through this guy's life before Jesus even comes and does anything. It's unbelievable. His impact is huge. In fact, Jesus one time went on record. He said, there's no man greater than John. I'm God, he's basically saying. I'm God, but... There's no man greater than John. He's the greatest. He's the goat. He's the one that he's like, no one's going to do more than he has other than me. Imagine having Jesus Christ affirm you like that. Now, here's the question. Why did he have such a massive impact? Why was the blessing of God and the hand of God so paramount on his life? I'll tell you why. Because he lived his life in just bold anticipation, consecration. He, he was so focused and fixed on seeing God come that he knew this was going to require different things of me. Now, I'm not suggesting that you and I need to go out and we need to get camel clothes. And I'm not saying you need to go on the locust diet, although you probably could sell that nowadays. Yeah, it's the latest fad. I lost 20 pounds with the locust diet. I'm not suggesting that we do those things. But there is another principle you've got to understand, and that is this, that physical obedience... Actual, tangible, physical obedience brings spiritual release. What you do with your body, what you do with your time, how you spend your money, how you use your mouth, what you look at with your eyes, what you ingest, what you output, the things that you do really do matter. Physical obedience consecration, anticipation actually brings spiritual release in your life. Now look, this is not a salvation issue. Understand it. This is a satisfaction issue. This is not a question of are you saved? It's a question of are you blessed? Are you experiencing the life of the kingdom in the here and now? And I'm convinced of this, that the enemy's number one tactic in our lives today is number one thing. And this is not a new trick. He's, he's just kind of got, like got a greatest hits album. And he just repeats it all the time. This is the, like one of his number one plays. It is to convince you that this Christian thing is just something that you feel and think about. That it's all in my feelings. I feel like I love God. So when I worship him, I feel it in my heart. So I don't need to lift my hands. I feel like I worship and adore God. I feel it in my heart. So I don't need to lift my hands and open my voice. I feel like I trust God. So I don't need to give money in faith. 
See, the enemy wants you to think that it's all about how you feel and how you think. But I'll tell you something. It's actually in your physical obedience that you start to carve out space for God to really break in. Physical obedience creates, it releases, it brings spiritual release. The number one play of the devil to keep you from making way in your life is for you to actually start to think that it's all about how I feel. If I feel good, I'm good. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. There's a, there's a story in Exodus 17, the story of Moses and the Israelites. They come into this, this part of the land, and there's, there's this Amalekite force. And this is the first time we find the Israelites about to go to war. They were slaves. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have things to fight with. And we find they start to have this battle, and God comes and commands Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to stand on that hill, and the whole time this battle goes, you hold your hands up over the, over the armies. And if you keep your hands in the air, I will give you the victory. I will dispatch angels, and I, my hand will go before you, and you will literally take out the Amalekites. But you got to keep your hands up. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. If we had time, we'd read it. Exodus 17 says, Moses held his hands up and the Israelites started to take out the Amalekites. And then he got tired, it says, and his hands started to drop down. And what happened? He brought a couple people beside him and they lifted his hands back up. And as his hands lifted up, Joshua and the Israelites began to take the victory again. The principle is right there, Old Testament, that what you do in the natural affects the spiritual. That your physicality is very much connected to your spirituality. That the amount of heaven you experience has a lot to do with the earth you occupy. Some of you are thinking, well, that's Old Testament. Nope, New Testament too. Matthew 16, look at this. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. You a disciple today? This is to you. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Whoa. Wait, I thought like, I'm just going to sit around and wait till God does what he wants to do. Because God's God and he's sovereign. No, he said, you're up. You decide. You move, I move. You permit it, I permit it. You rebuke it, I rebuke it. You cast it down, I cast it down. You build it up, I raise it up. That's what Jesus says. How you move on earth impacts how heaven moves. What you do with your life, the reason some of you aren't experiencing great big blessings and breakthroughs in your life, the reason you're not really literally seeing God breaking through is because you're really literally not doing anything. I love you enough to tell you that. This thing, this Christian thing is not a hypothetical faith. It is not something that we just think about and talk about and we hope for. It's actual. It's real. And I'll tell you what, like I'm not perfect and I haven't got it all figured out. But I have put God to the test on some things. I have stepped out in faith and I have found him to be true. The invisible God where I have invisible ways done visible things in invisible faith. I have seen the invisible God do visibly impossible things. This is not hypothetical. And so I'm trying to live my life that way, to see God break through. I want, I want to do that with my time. I want to say, God, I don't have enough time for it all. I don't have enough time for this church. I don't have enough time to, to be a great preacher or be a good pastor or be a good husband or good father. There's not enough hours in the week. Anybody? Yeah. Not enough hours in the week. But in faith, I've said, God, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the morning. I'm going to get up early even when I'm tired. I'm going I'm to give you even my first 10 minutes, even if I'm half asleep, and it doesn't even feel like it's doing anything. I'm going to give that to you. And I've, I've literally given that to God, and I've seen him multiply my time. I never miss church. Why? My week, I need it. I can't, I can't not invite God into those seven days. So when I travel, I'm going to church somewhere or I'm going to watch online, or just as best I can, I'm going to give God a day. That's why we're doing the 21-day fast, because I don't want to go through this year without seeing God break through. So I'm going to clear out 21 days and say, God, if you don't come in here, if you don't move, I'm sunk. So I'm moving in advance, and I'm inviting you in. That's what the 21-day fast is all about. It's saying, God, I can't do this year without you. That is why I tithe 10% of everything. I did it when I was broke. 
I did it when I made very little money, and I've done it at every raise and every pay raise I've ever had for my wife and me, 10% the whole time. We start there, 10%. Why? Because I want God on 100% of my money. I want God on 100% of my, my investments, of my resources. I need him in there. I'm telling you this. Why? Because it's tangible. It's actual. I believe this stuff. I've seen it. I had a real cool experience last week. with my, my, We had a, a family service here between weekends. And my wife and I, we got to sit with our three kids. And my oldest daughter was sitting by my wife. And we got taken, we got taken uh, the offering. And we didn't think anything of it. We just handed our envelope to, to Ava. And she was holding it. And she flipped it over. And she looked at the amount on the front. And, and she looks over to us. And she goes, Mom. <laughs> like it was more money. She couldn't wrap her head around it. Like what on earth? And I got to talk to my daughter. I got to say, I put that much in because I trust God that much. And that shows what I trust. That shows I do not trust in my ability to, to manage wealth. I don't trust in my ability. I trust in the living God. And I've seen him in my finances. I've seen him in my time. I've seen him that as I have made space and moved out into that anticipation zone, I've seen him time and time and time and time again come true, come faithful every single time. I've seen it, and some of you need to consider that this year. Like, the, you can experience God in your life right now. You gotta make space. You gotta make space. Anticipation. Anticipation. I want, some of you need to today decide, I'm gonna give that, I'm gonna do that 21 day fast. I'm gonna do it. I wanna reap the blessing and reward of God on my time for the rest of the year. I want January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, October, September, October, November, December. I need all of those months. Covered by the hand of God. So physical obedience, physical obedience brings spiritual release. It does it every single time. This is not a hypothetical faith. Someone needs to hear that. I believe God's, God wants to bless you this year like never before, but it's not going to happen until you step forward in actual real faith. You can circle faith. You can show it on your, on your budget. You can show it on your time card. You can show it on your priorities. You can see faith, and you're not going to experience the greatness of God until you start to make a way. Verse 7, I'm almost done. Verse 7 says, John announced, John announced, someone is coming soon. Someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize with water, he says. What I'm doing is like, it's like, a, it's a precursor. I baptize with water, but he, he will baptize you with the very presence of God. When you come to him, I want you to notice one more thing about John. If we look at him as kind of an example for us, like if we're going to experience God in our lives, he was a man of expectation. He's also a man of anticipation. He talked it and walked it. Like this was not hypothetical to him. He could, he was the man like wild locusts and camel hair and honey and just gave his life to it. And he's had a special life and God blessed him in a special way. But I want you to see this. His adoration, his adoration is key. Third word, if you're writing notes down, write that down, adoration. John was not in pursuit of a blessing. He was not pursuing anything other than the coming of the king. Because he knew that if the king comes, the kingdom comes with him. His pursuit was not a blessing. His pursuit was not financial breakthrough. His, his, those things are all great. But his pursuit was Jesus. His adoration, his heart was Jesus. Notice that, that the testimony, another, another, another uh, chapter says, he must increase and I must decrease. And in that, he found the life and life to the full. The Bible says this. It says in James chapter 4, it says, draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. That if you make God your pursuit, if you literally carve out space, make way, God will draw near to you. Like what an unbelievable thought. Like really think about that. Like, 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 that, like that hits you. God 
as you draw near to him in your own fumbly way, some of you are brand new Christians. Some of you were at the Imperial, you were at the Halifax Christmas service, and you decided to follow Jesus for the first time. You don't know how to pray great prayers. You don't know how to read the Bible or anything like that. But the promise is true for you, that if you will just pursue God in your own fumbly way, God's going to pursue you. And the very presence of God will show up in your life. I want to show you one more passage of Scripture before we're done. The Bible, in Daniel chapter 10, there's this passage of Scripture. Daniel's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's a prophet at a time of great challenge for the children of Israel. They were actually living in captivity. They were not in the land that God had promised. Like, terrible things had happened. I mean, they were in a dark and dry and barren place. And Daniel was in need of a special visitation from God. And he was in need of seeing God do something just amazing for him and on his behalf. And it says this in Daniel chapter 10. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, <clears throat> Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had a vision, had another vision. He understood that vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Things were coming. And when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Fasting is what he's doing. All that time, verse 3, I had eaten no rich food. Now the word rich there is the Hebrew word kemda, which means desirable. I didn't eat anything desirable. This is where we actually get the Daniel fast from, the 21-day fast. So I were taking a 21-day fast. This is a three-week thing that Daniel did where he said, I ate no desirable food. I ate vegetables and water. Some of you think vegetables are desirable. No, they're not. They're good for you, but come on. He says, I, he ate vegetables and water and fruit. For three weeks, he says, I ate no desirable food. I gave up the desirable things. I left the things I really wanted, the things I really craved. I gave those up in pursuit of Jesus. Now watch this. No meat or wine crossed my lips. I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Bare minimum. I just cleared out as much space and as much clutter and as much junk from my world as I possibly could. It says, on April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, and I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing. Now, this picture he's going to paint is also seen throughout the, the Bible. This is, this is very likely Jesus himself. Saw a man with linen clothing, with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze. That's also in John's revelation, in, in, in Revelation as well, it's a similar description. It says his voice roared like a vast multitude of people, like overpowering. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing. But they were suddenly terrified and they ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt weak, very weak. And then I heard the man speak. And when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and I lay there with my face to the ground. What, what an encounter. And just then a hand touched me and lifted me. How many of you could use the touch of God in your life this year? How many of you could use the hand of God lifting you up out of some things this year? Just then a hand touched me and lifted me and still trembling, still trembling to my hands and to my knees. And the man said to me, oh, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Now the word precious there. It's easy to just read past, but the word precious there is the same Hebrew word it was for rich food, kemda. So think about this for a second. Daniel makes way 
He says, three weeks, I'm, I'm going to just carve out space for three weeks. I need a miracle in my life. I need a visitation of the living God. I need God to do what I can't do for myself. So I'm clearing out three weeks. I need a word. I need to be lifted up. I need some things done for me that I could never do for myself. And so he says, I'm going to just give up the desirable foods. I'm going to place aside that which is desirable. Now watch this. Jesus comes and shows up to him. And what does he say? He says, oh, Daniel. Oh, one greatly desired by me. Do you see that? Daniel gave up what was desirable and became that which Christ desired most. Don't miss this. This is not a matter of does Jesus loves you, love you. Like, look at the cross. He could not love you anymore. But this might very well be a matter of how do you get Jesus into your world? Maybe it has to do with giving up some things that are desirable to you. Maybe it's desirable to control your finances entirely. But Jesus says, if you'll just trust me with this bit, you become all the more desirable to me. I can't resist coming into your world. Think about like what, what really did Daniel actually do? He ate carrots and celery for seven days. Like, yes, gross, but like really? He did this much. And the King of Kings and Lord of Lords shows up and says, Oh, Daniel, I couldn't resist, man. I saw, I saw you. I saw what you did. I saw those early mornings. I saw the sacrifice. And God cannot resist sacrifice. When you give up what is desirable, when you give up what is most desirable, we become most desirable to him. Draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. And when the king comes, how many of you need the king in your world? Here's the deal. When the king comes in your life, when he shows up, guess what? Favor shows up. Freedom shows up. Healing shows up. Provision shows up. Wisdom shows up. Foresight shows up. Knowledge shows up. Life shows up. When the king comes, joy comes. Hope comes. Wisdom comes. Assurance comes. Redemption comes. I'm going to preach till someone gets happy. Resurrection comes. Listen. It's the presence. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives. Listen, what do we need to do as a church this year for our church to just go where we've never gone before? It's not standing on our heads. It's not preaching better sermons. It's not playing better songs. It's not making a new building. Those things are all great and they're tools, but they're erroneous and they are useless without the presence of God. We need the presence of God. I need, listen, I can read all the marriage books and I can do all the stuff to try to be a better husband this year, but unless the Spirit of God comes in and changes some stuff about me. Oh, y'all didn't know your pastor's not perfect, eh? I don't know what it is for you. Like some of you, you need a financial miracle. And unless the Spirit of God shows up and changes what you can't change, and here's what I'm trying to tell you. As you begin this year, if you want to see the kingdom of God come into your life, you got to make way. You got to make way. I'm challenging you. If you will make a way for him, he will make a way where there is no way. He will do what is impossible. If you do what you can do and you clear out space, he will do it. He will do it. Make room. Some of you need to start giving. I'm not, I'm not going to dump the burden of tithing 10% on you right now. I believe it's a 10% call that we're supposed to tithe 10%. But you know what? We're not, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And if you can't do 10%, do 1%. I'm telling you, the space that you clear out for God, he is going to fill with his favor. So you know what? 2019, I tithed 1%. It's not a tithe. It's a one. But I did 1%. Listen, I believe God calls us to do the tithe. I, I believe it's training wheels in the kingdom. But I did 1%. And guess what? You're going to find out he was faithful to 1% and then some. And then next year, you're going to 2%. And you're going to find out he was faithful to 2%. This, if you think I'm talking about money right now, listen again. What do you need? More time? Do you need more self-control? All of it. Give it to God. Give it to God and watch him do what you can't do for yourself. King's Church... Can you imagine if we positioned ourselves in a way to hear, oh, King's Church, greatly desired by God.
Can you imagine we lived in such a way that God just couldn't resist? When we gathered together, he just couldn't resist. It's like, oh, there's my, oh, they're, they're my, you know, God doesn't have favorites, but they got my favor. Can you imagine? Like in Halifax, you, got, you show up at a cold of some end, and as soon as you do, oh, King's Church, greatly desired by God. Oh, Pastor Seth, I desire you. Oh, Leanne. Oh, Brenton. Oh, Melanie. You got to make way. Just stand to your feet and let's just, let's just give God this moment. And I don't know what he's doing in your heart right now. But I wonder if I could challenge you right now. Let's, just not, let's not play games anymore with church. Some of you are like, hey, I just showed up. Welcome. It's not a game. It's not a game. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a Netflix subscription where you just come to church to get entertained. It's not what we're doing here. We believe this is life and life to the full. And so I wonder if this year, if we just made a little more space and a little more faith and we raised our expectations, what could God do in your life this year? And we lived in anticipation and we started clearing out some space. Some of you need to just covenant right now. I'm going to fast for 21 days. It doesn't have to be food. Ask the Lord, say, God, what is that desirable thing you would have me push aside because I'm desiring you more? What is that thing? Some of you need to start giving. Some of you at the locations need to start giving. I don't know what it is, but I wonder if you just push aside that which is most desirable to you if you won't see God show up in your life like never before. Just just bow our heads for a moment. Let's pray together. And I wonder if you just can't, if, if this is speaking to you at our locations today, if we can just lift our hands even to God, just again, physical obedience brings spiritual release. And so God today, just as we lift our hands and we lift our hearts to you, we just say we want the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We want the kingdom to show up in our families like it does in heaven. Lord, we want the kingdom to show up in our bodies and in our minds and in our marriages, in our relationships. Lord, at our locations, God, would your kingdom come in full Will we live in such a way that makes way for the king and his kingdom? God, will this be a year like no other because we made room like never before? We believe you are who you say you are. And so, Father, for every hand that's raised, for every family that's saying, you know what, I need the blessing of God in my family this year. I need God to do some things that only he can do. I need the hand of God to lift me up. I need the voice of God to speak a new word. For every hand that's raised right now, God, would you see it? Would you see that physical act? And even right now, God, would you move our way? We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. We thank you that it was your word that said, draw near unto me and I'll draw near unto you. And so God, we're moving. Here on the first Sunday of the year, we're moving forward and saying we're going first and we're making a way and we're clearing a way and we are expecting great things in our lives this year in Jesus' name. We're expecting it. We're expecting this time next year to testify to all the things you did at our locations. We love you and we thank you, God. And we just bless you today, God. Would you use us? Would you set us apart? Would you consecrate us? And would you resurrect us and make us new. Would you do what only you can do in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people say, amen, amen. Let's worship him. Let's worship him.